are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys? Good. We're good. We finally got a break. It feels like now that we have for real though, we have her yeah. gone for a couple hours. <laughs> there you go. You guys have got a few hours. That's good. Yep. Yep. Well, so to start, um, for those of you who don't know, Katie, tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to create the Brennan Millennial. Okay. Um, my name is Katie and I have an Instagram called the Berean Millennial. I am 29, a mom of and wife of two little boys, two and four. Um, so what started, what made me want to start my account was I, and, and what it is, is it's kind of like an online ministry. So I just line everything up that we're seeing in culture and especially cultural Christianity with the word of God. And so what made me start doing that is after I was saved right after marriage and we were in a sound church and we're really discipled and we really learned apologetics and learned scripture and we moved away from that church. And when we came back to our hometown, I kind of realized like, oh, wow, first of all, that's not normal. And that's not what normal churches look like. That was, that was the church I was saved out of. And I didn't realize that true church everywhere was not like that. So when we were out of that bubble, I was like, okay, so I'm seeing a lot of garbage in Christianity and um, especially in women's ministry. So what I did was I started researching everything and my husband, he's the one who pushed me. was just kind of like, you know, you need to start a blog or something so you can tell women the things that you're learning. And here we are. That's, that's what happened. It just kind of grew from there. And um, I am grateful to have been able to share those things with women online. Yes. And if you guys don't know, Katie, you guys, you and another fellow Instagrammer just started a podcast recently. Um, and you guys did, I know in your first episode, go a little bit more into this testimony individually. So yes. if yes. you guys want to listen to that podcast, Katie, can you tell them what the name of that podcast is? Yeah. So Natalie from the Instagram stop and consider, and I started a podcast. It's called abide podcast. You can look at the Instagram is abide podcast. And we went into our testimonies. We just started, so we only have two episodes now, but we just went into our testimonies and then we did kind of like an encouragement Q&A with how, you know, there's a lot of fears now all across the board with the new inauguration and what we're seeing being, you know, pushed through potentially to the future. So we have a little Q&A and the next we will be talking about um, Enneagram and things that we'll be covering a little bit here. So yeah, y'all can check that out. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I know for me, <clears throat> I actually found you through, we've met in person through Alyssa Allen's Dear America Foundation yes. um, in the beginning. Yes. And so I had actually found you through her. And in the beginning, it was really hard for Randy and I, because this was about a year ago now, and we kind of were lost. We were involved in a church and COVID really helped show the church's true colors Right. And I think the church, and I've always said, I think he was more concerned and I still think he is more concerned with growing his congregation than leading. And right. that's not to say that, you know, he may not be a truly convicted person in his heart. I think that he might just be lost in where he's taking the direction of things. And I know plenty of people since COVID have since left his church. So I'm hoping that this will open his eyes because he is a huge reason why Randy came to Christ yeah. and why right. I kind of re-walked in my faith where I wasn't doing that in the beginning. So 
hopefully right. people start to wake up. And I know with you, you're doing a lot of good work, as I've already told you in previous conversations outside of this, that you are changing lives. That I know, I know you get hate mail a lot, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> or as we should call it, fan mail. Right. And, and I've told you, I think the biggest thing that people when they're attacking you, they're not attacking you personally, they're attacking what's inside them that they're fighting. And so I know I struggled with that in the beginning, watching some of your stuff, I kind of fought the resistance to it. So I right. think people just need to look at the bigger picture and the message that you're trying to say. It's, if you have a problem with it, you need to open up your Bible because there's a lot of things in there that are gonna really, uh, I don't wanna say offend you, but. I mean, the gospel's offensive. The yes. Bible even yes. says so. Absolutely. <clears throat> So yeah, so yeah, it's hard for all of us to hear those things, but praise the Lord for, you know, growing you guys out of it, growing me out of it, any of us, none of us are here without the Lord's leading. And so we all play a role and we're his children and he's going to draw us out of false teachings or whatever we're involved yeah. in because he's our shepherd. So we yeah. can yeah. all be encouraged in that. Exactly. Awesome. So I have a question that I've been trying to like, <laughs> understand for myself and uh i was curious what you like what you think about biblically if let's say a husband and wife are mm -hmm. married and maybe one of them stray away from living in the word or if you know a husband and wife are married and later down the line one of them gets saved and the other one doesn't what's the role of like the husband or the wife whoever's saved or living in the word What's, what's their role when the other part of the relationship is not living in the word? Right. And that's a really good question. Um, and it happens all the time. Um, I talk to women uh, on the daily where this has happened to, and they're looking for direction and guidance. And, you know, it happens to husbands as well. And then other people find sometimes that they thought they were marrying a believer, but then over time they fall away from the faith. Like you would see that in the rocky soil um, in the parable where, you know, you, some people look just like a believer and they themselves may be deceived that they are a believer, but really they're a false convert and fall away. And that happens in marriages. So what I would say is first, this is not an out for you. <laughs> if your spouse has fallen away from the faith, even goes as far as say, they don't believe in Jesus at all anymore. They're done. They're an atheist, or we're just going to go to the, we're going to jump to the extreme right now. But anywhere in between that, um, what God has joined, no man can separate and God hates divorce. So you cannot unscramble eggs. You are married and God has called you to that marriage, no matter what goes on within it, because it's done. So wives, this is a verse that every wife should memorize. I have memorized it and <laughs> I recall it often because we're not married to Jesus, though we, we, feel like we should be, or we feel like our husband should be Jesus, they are going to fall short just as you are. And you are going to be discouraged at some point in your marriage. So wives, first Peter three, one through two, likewise, wives be subject to your own husband. So even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So what this means is it says, even if your husband is disobedient to the word of God in any sh way, shape or form, if they are denying Christ or if they are just not leading like you want them to in a season, you can win your husband without a word. That means without preaching at him, 
without nagging him, without being that drippy roof on the corner. But you can win him over to Christ purely by your conduct towards them, your respectful and pure behavior towards them. So you can win your husband by loving them as Christ calls you to love them rather than preaching at or nagging them that you are not the Holy Spirit. You will never be the Holy Spirit. And preaching at your husband and nagging him for not following the Lord does not going to push him to then follow the Lord more because it's a heart issue within himself. So you love him like Christ. You pray for him. You lead with your own obedience and your own submission to God and your submission to him. Now, that doesn't mean you can't say anything to him like, I'm really struggling here. This is for sure if they're a believer. If they're not a believer, you need to be praying for his salvation. But if he is a believer, I think you could lovingly say, husband, like I am struggling, and you can talk about your issues. Um, that doesn't mean you can't talk about any struggles, but you can talk about issues and pray that he receives them well and continue to pray for him and obey. And then husbands, you're told exactly how to love your wives in scripture. It says, you know, love your spouse unconditionally. Unconditionally, Husbands are to love their wives and give themselves up for her like Christ did the church. So how often is the church, how often are we as Christians disobedient to Christ? Um, all the time. And Christ still loves us. He has given himself for, up for us and continually pursues us. We also see a picture of a man pursuing a woman who becomes his wife in the book of Hosea, who continually commits adultery. And he continually pursues her. And that's, again, supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church, but also to the husband, because you're to love her no matter what. When we get to the end of our lives, God is not going to be like, oh, okay, I see that you weren't very submissive because he wasn't a good leader. And it's really like, no, what did you do? I am worried about what you did and how you obeyed scripture and not what your spouse did. I don't know if that, yeah, no, that's, or if you guys have any more good. questions. We're so like, we're so drawn <laughs> in. I feel, I see us like moving. I know our audience can't see us, but like, I feel myself moving closer in. Cause I'm like, I want to hear more. I'm drawing myself into this. Cause it's so good. It's true. I think yes. so many people, especially today when the going gets tough, just get a divorce. You know, right. when you stop loving your partner and you go through these rocky, rocky valleys through your relationship, because you have mm -hmm. different seasons in life. Sometimes you're Absolutely. a parent. Sometimes you might lose a child. These are things that you go through and they're difficult. And I know with the way society has told us is, oh, it's okay for you to take time to work on you, for you to do whatever you need. And if he can't understand that, or she can't be there, just leave because they're not the one. Mm -hmm. And it's in, the, in right. that moment, it's so self-absorbed that people forget like, no, like follow the scripture, yeah. listen to what we're called to do, lead like right. we should be leading. Yeah. Well, and then another thing that I struggled with up until I guess recently was trying to like trying to make myself and you a better person was at the front of my idea of the perfect marriage and mm -hmm. once i sat down and actually just started reading scripture and trying to find out what a father's right. supposed to do biblically what a husband's supposed to do biblically it was like so far from that thought of improving myself improving my wife Mm -hmm. And literally just focusing on what the Bible says to do in right. those roles made everything, you know, it changes everything, perfect, but it changes everything. 
Because you were trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and that's not possible. <laughs> trying to have everyone produce fruit, whereas yes. fruit is produced from the Holy Spirit. And what is, how do you produce fruit? By abiding in Christ. So, yes. yeah. You all are abiding in Christ. You're going to produce fruit and you're going, your marriage is going to look like a godly marriage. And is that to say that you're not both sinners and it's not always going to look like a godly marriage? No. But you would need to be, even if your spouse is being disobedient, you would need to be obedient and you would need to continue to grow and love them just as Christ loves us. He doesn't abandon us when we fall by the wayside. He pursues us. He came to seek and save the lost. He seeks us. So yeah, he, yeah. I think it's very interesting because I know for me and my personality, just because of who I am, like I, I want to plant the seed, but I also want to see it grow. Like instantaneously for me personally, I'm like, well, I'm doing the work, God, I'm planting the seeds, I'm doing the steps, but like, I want to see it grow too. Like, can I stick Mm -hmm. around for this? And that's hard for me. Right. And sometimes, (laughs) right. It's not your job. And sometimes this isn't necessarily in marriage, but it kind of is. Sometimes the harvest is for other people to harvest. We harvest seeds that other people have planted all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So and again, we can look at um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, at the actual definition of love. And it says, love is patient, kind. It's not envy or doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Yeah. We endure all things with our spouse. Yeah. You can separate. People typically only want to hear that verse when they're getting married. They don't want to hear it throughout their marriage. <laughs> yeah, it actually, true. I mean, it's, it's the wedding verse that yeah. everybody uses, but we're not listening to right. it's truly meaning. And it, it's an example of Christ's love for us and how we are to mimic that. It's not, I mean, we can use it to, to have a shape and mold in our marriage, but it's not uh, something that we need to just base it off of. And when, then when we start to feel those emotions, mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, well, I'm feeling them. It must be my marriage. Let me leave. Right. And love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling in the, in the Greek it's agape, which is unconditional love. It's not a feeling. It's an act. You can, yes. you put love on and you choose to do it. Yeah. So, and I like side note on this. I think a lot of people will truly experience that when they give birth to their children. I think that that <laughs> unconditional love, I mean, I get like, I obviously I have it with my spouse, but I think that that like never ending, I would do anything like this is my flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. I grew it. I gave birth to it. You know, I watched it happen. I think a lot of people kind of get a glimpse of what that should look like mm-hmm. and then hold on to that and use it everywhere. Not just with their kids, but with their right. families and their spouses. Right. And God has given us children as a picture of one flesh that is supposed to be our picture on earth that he has created you. You guys are one flesh, though you can't see it. You're one flesh. And now he's giving you an on earth picture in your children of your oneness. And scripture also says, let no man separate. And when it talks about divorce, it says it is a violent ripping apart because you cannot rip something together that is joined it's going to be violent yeah and i think that's a very important picture people need to uh rewind and re-listen to a couple times because i don't think people fully get that because of course because we can't see it we don't think Mm -hmm. it that way so right and and you're in a covenant with god like 
Yeah. Anyway. So um, um, our next, go ahead. Sorry. The next thing that we've, that we uh, wanted to ask you was something that we have, I've reached out to you on this topic before in mm -hmm. the past. Um, I know I but, have too. Yeah. I think <laughs> since you've been such a good resource for us, hopefully others listening can take note, but um, finding a church, a biblically, a biblically sound, sound church. church, because we've, you know, gone to, we've gone to a church that started as, as a house church and it mm -hmm. grew and it, it was, the the foundation of the church i don't want to say was solid because obviously where they got now it proves that it wasn't but right. i think their intention behind it was very solid but i think as they've grown the worldly attributes that they're receiving from it are blinding them well not only that but like we went to a church for a, almost a year every single sunday yeah and well after, then they branched and became a satellite church too but, so now but, they have other mm. but after that year we still couldn't tell you a lot of anything from the Bible. You know, when you spend mm. a year at a church, you should be. We right. could tell you about 10 verses that pertain to a certain life experience from the Bible, but right. we couldn't, <laughs> so, we couldn't tell you anything yeah. else. It, for our listeners, Katie's head probably just spun around. A hundred times. <laughs> like it's because so, so the experience though. church is just the church in America. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So what, what um, advice do you have for people looking for a scripturally sound church? Or, and, and what resources can you um, provide? And, and again, for our listeners, this will be listed in uh, the bio of the episode that you can have as well. So um, don't freak out if you are driving in the car and can't write it down. <laughs> it <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Well, as far as resources, unfortunately, there's not a ton because there's not a ton of sound churches. <laughs> so <laughs> the first resource, I would say scripture. So you would need to go to Second Timothy. Um, it lays exactly out what a, what a church should look like and what the leadership should look like. So it's talking about what the overseers and deacons should look like. Um, you know, there is a specific set of qualifications for the leadership of a church, and God has set that to protect it. So go to the Bible first. Um, and then, you know, there are two websites that I give people, and that's the Master Seminary Church Search. Um, this is John MacArthur's Church Search. So you can put in your area code and it can bring up the sounder churches around you of those that graduated from his seminary. You would still need to test it against scripture. Yes. They're obviously not testing every single church of every single facet inside the church. Um, and then also Founders Ministry, that's Tom Askall. They have another church search that is really good. And then Heart Cry Ministry from Paul Washer has a church search where you can type in your area. Um, and then my other piece of advice, a lot of people have said, you know, I have no churches that come up and I don't either in my area from any of those websites. Yeah, we, do we? we didn't either <laughs> from any of those. No, and, and so then what I would say is, you know, we actually struggled for a long time and we moved away from that one really sound church um, to find a church over two years. We actually had to move again to even find one that is semi-sound. But what I would say at the very least, first of all, it is obedience to God to go to church. You are called to meet with the body and fellowship and worship him and encourage one another and stir one another up in good works. You, you're supposed to meet. So where, um, find somewhere 
that was it that is within driving distance that has the solid gospel that is number one if they have the gospel and share it often and their heart is to evangelize um if they're you're, you're really wanting them to share the gospel at every sermon so you think that you can so you know you can bring a friend and they will hear the gospel again you should be teaching it to them too but find the gospel that's number one um and, and number two, are they teaching scripture and are they teaching it correctly? So you're just going to have to be like a Berean and take everything back to scripture of what they're saying and to seeing of what they're saying is so. No church is going to be perfect, um, but you're looking for gospel, evangelism, right teaching of scriptures, and then an openness to having conversations with you in areas you may disagree. Most of the time, this part comes in with music. Um, a lot of people have left their church over music. Um, and I think that is fine to do. I think that you should, if you have a better option, but if you don't have a better option, like where I currently live, I go to the soundest church within two miles drive, I'm sorry, within two hours drive. So we obviously are having lots of conversations. (laughs) There is no church that is going to be perfect. And that is just an opportunity for you to plug in and teach others. So sometimes you're not going to only be the learner, but you're going to be a teacher as well. And you need to step into that. So gospel and expository preaching, and then hopefully you can find one that has sound music. And if they don't do your research on what the sound music is and take it to your pastor and have a conversation. Yes. And and Katie has this listed. If you are on Instagram, if you go to her Instagram, which will be listed again in the description to the podcast, um, she has a highlight explaining um, the unsound music uh, Mm -hmm. that you could go to that that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down. So go look at that. Um, But I did want to make a side note. So for us, and for those who may be new to Christianity may not have the solid foundation theologically. Um, would you say, cause I know for me, I bought the John MacArthur study Bible. And so when I go to a church and we've been trying a couple out here, I take it with me. And when they yes. talk about a specific scripture, I look at what John MacArthur's study mm-hmm. been to make sure it lines up. So that way I'm not confused because for me, I tend to have, um, the point of view, like they're a place of authority. So therefore they're always going to be right. And I don't have that backing for me to challenge them. So would that be a solid um, source for them to take to church with them so they can figure out whether that is solid scripture or solid teaching? Absolutely. Like, uh, I would say the ESV study Bible is really good. And the John MacArthur study Bible is really good. That's not saying that their words are inspired because only scripture is inspired but they are really good resources in explaining the text and keep it within the context. So that is a good tool. And you should be taking your Bible to church anyways. I like, I have a pet peeve. I hate these days where everything is digital because you get so much more out of it. If you just bring your physical Bible, open it and learn from it as they are teaching. And not only that, it's a testament to those around you. You know, the, the, we have the living word. I mean, I know that it's in our pockets, but bring your Bible. So like Taylor said, you can be looking at cross references. You can look at the commentary. You can read the surrounding chapters as they're preaching. Yeah. And I think another good thing for us that we've found with some good churches, because obviously 
Um, if they're not a good church, they aren't even telling you to open up your Bible. But right. I've found that some really good churches around us will actually offer free ESV versions of the Bible. So if you don't financially have the sources, I don't mm. think it's bad for them yeah. to be like, hey, here's a Bible, here's for absolutely it's a not. good translation. Of right. The Bible, because I know a lot of times translations can be uh, feeling translated versus right. no. based on and, Hebrew and Greek translations. <laughs> right, exactly. I th- yeah, I would recommend the NASB, ESV, um, and New King James Version. Those are the top three I would recommend. Those are all word for word. And then like you got NIV, LI, NLT are like thought for thought. So they're not necessarily a direct translation. And then the message and passion just throw out the trash can. That's yeah. that's the only use for that one. Yeah. For that we even have I've even looked at this um I'm gonna pull it up right now. I've looked at this translation and it's basically I didn't even know that there were certain translations, but there is it's called the good news translation, which is completely paraphrasing mm-hmm. everything. Yeah which is it, it, right. insane to me that like, I, I had no idea those are things and those are things that people are actually relying on. Yeah. To tell and the message about. and the passion says that they're paraphrases. Those are the, like, that's what they say that they are too. Um, there's yeah. a, go ahead. I was gonna say, there's an app that just talking about what we were talking about. There's an app that you had recommended a while ago. Um, what's the one, the TS, the, the study. Oh, it is. I want to see who can get it faster. The master STS. Yes. The yes. S- search the scriptures. Search so the that, so that been, was my church. Yeah. Okay. So I've been um, going through like the basic discipleship mm-hmm. and I like what the pastor says where he's like, you will give you a free Bible, but you have to meet with the pastor and that's right. how you earn your free Bible. I thought that was and so cool. It is. And on top of that, because that was the church we went to, that's pretty much where we were oh, saved and discipled for for four years, it was amazing. amazing. Um, And we, they want all the new members to go through that 52 week of the back to the basics class. So you get a really solid foundation of the scriptures. That church truly like teaches you the Bible and how to think through it. Yeah, it's so good. And I wish, like side note before we get into other questions, because I know we, we might be running short on time here, but I know for me, I wish my pastor or the church alone would have done that because I could have easily been manipulated by the devil when I was trying to accept Christ. I knew exactly what to tell my pastor to say For so sure. that he would agree to baptize me. So, and, and this was at 16. My life did not change. Let's be right. honest. I accepted Christ. I was baptized. I was submerged baptized. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just sprinkled water, but I did nothing to change my life. It Same. wasn't until about a year ago, we really truly were like, we've got to make a change. Our life has to change. Our household has to look different. And it wasn't until we truly started reading and mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. that that's what we should have been doing. And I wish my pastor would have done that when I had asked. Right. It and would have so many of us. Me. Yeah. So many of us, so many Christians are hungry. We walk around emaciated Christians and a bunch of uh, false converts. Um, I mean, the scripture says hearing comes by the word of God. That is faith comes by hearing the word of God. So we think we have all this faith, but no one's actually hearing the word of God. No one knows the word of God. So you can't have faith because you Mm -hmm. have to have the word. So yeah, with Dr. Brogan, this is what I was going to say. They, um, you meet with him, he shares the gospel with you and he gives you a Bible if you don't have one. And what I want to encourage you guys is, and the listeners if your church doesn't have this ministry or doesn't have 
Bibles to give out, buy them, buy them for the church. It's like $150 to buy like 30 Bibles, Bible, bulk Bible online. You get a bunch of ESVs and donate them to the church. Tell them, hey, you know, let me know when you run out and we'll send more. It's not hard to, to even go in with a group and scrape up $150 and, and donate that to the church. Let that be a part of the ministry because if someone doesn't have one, they need to be able to offer one. And I'm not sure how many churches have that. Yeah, yeah and exactly. like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but <laughs> like the people who control the internet, if all you rely on is the Bible app, uh, what if exactly? Gone? Yeah, what if it's manipulated? What if exactly? It, you know, if you don't have it printed out and you're not, and we're over here like we're trying to collect Bibles now. <laughs> and you should, and you should be burying some in your backyard it's too. So crazy. <laughs> well, we're not going to bury them in our backyard, but you know, I mean, we <laughs> they might be somewhere. Yeah, exactly. We no, lost. Don't come look in our backyard. We lost them with our guns uh, on the boating <laughs> accident. Yeah, we're well, going to go to the gulags for that. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's documented now. What are we going to do? <laughs> but so I do have a question when it comes to a sound church, I've noticed a lot of churches and I was, I'm excited for your episode when you and Natalie do this. I was a huge, I went down the rabbit hole. I absorbed my life in this. Churches are now teaching and preaching Enneagrams with their mm -hmm. service. And First, can you explain why that is dangerous and kind of, I know you know a little bit more of the background of Enneagram and the creator or founder of that. So can you give us why churches should not be doing that and why it is dangerous? So they shouldn't be doing it because the roots are demonic and come from Eastern mysticism. There are a lot of resources out there that claim that this is some ancient a uh, tool that people have been using even in Christianity um, thousands of years ago. That is not true. Um, the creators admitted on YouTube that they lied about the roots and that they got it um, from much meditation, psychedelic drugs, rituals, mantras, and they were greeted by Arch Archangel Metatron who gave them the Enneagram and then through automatic writing, which is channeled writing, meaning there is no need for a Ouija board. You have become the Ouija board in your body and they are using your hand to move your pen and paper. And that, that is how they got the types. Okay. And then the types went to some, I think how you say is Jesuits, Jesuits. <laughs> it's Catholic. I don't know. It's a weird Catholic sect. Um, <laughs> forgive me. And from there, Richard Rohr picked this up. And Richard Rohr is a Catholic, quote, he's a quote unquote Catholic, but he's really a perennialist. Um, what a perennialist means is he believes that all religions are true at their core and they all lead to salvation. Um, so almost like a universalist. So he pretty much affirms all religions and that they're all true at their core. Um, and then at their core is you have to open yourself up because you are your mm -hmm. own problem that you can fix. So that's what Richard Warp, hmm. he took the Enneagram, he brought it into the Catholic church, and then he wrote a book called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. He's not a Christian. So you can't write a Christian perspective when you're not a Christian. And Richard Warp openly denies the deity of Christ. He openly denies the atonement on the cross. Um, there is nothing about Richard that holds to traditional Christianity. 
So what happened was they took it for some, from some Eastern mystics, a false teacher brought it into the church and slapped the name Christian over it. And now the church has just absolutely welcomed it with open arms and are holding seminars of the Enneagram in their church. And what the Enneagram is, if you've never heard of it, it's nine personality types that you fall into and pretty much study yourself and give a type to yourself. So if you're thinking in your mind horoscopes right now, yes, is the answer. That is almost exactly what it is. Just repackaged with a false Christian bow. And they, and they disguise it with good graphics, fun, like in the creators behind, like the Mm -hmm. people who are creating fun graphics behind it uh, may not understand it, which is why I want to bring it to people's attention because I, you know, I fell into, I could tell you my Enneagram with my wing and my personality type. I could have told you Randy's, I could have told you my friends and I, and I really enjoyed it just because it was like, I think as just sinful human beings in a fallen world, we kind of crave this way of being able to figure somebody out. And just like horoscopes, if I know what your personality type is, then I, then I essentially know how to manipulate you. It is kind of the root of it is I know how to work around you. I know how to work your personality to get what I want out of you being that person. And that's what I kind of noticed I was doing is I was able to work around people based on their personality when in reality, we, when nobody ever answers anything truthfully about themselves anyways, we do it based on our perception of ourselves. Right. Everybody's different internally, just because I'm putting out a certain personality doesn't mean that that's not what I am behind closed doors. It doesn't mean that's what I am when I'm living in the word, because we're meant to be different people. We're meant to be all the personalities. That's just who we are. It's crazy because they, they make it look like it's such an innocent thing. And then it ends up becoming one of those lenses that you yeah. look through when you're mm-hmm. yeah. you know, st- like studying the Bible or just living life. And it's just yeah. another one of those. Well, and this kind of goes down like with, with personality tests, like the love languages as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Enneagram and, and horoscopes kind of are a little bit more out there. But so when we look at things like an actual personality test or the love languages, would you would you say that those are bad things to have or is it more let's be self-aware to know the dangers that they can lead down? Cause for me, I know I struggle with like, well, is it really a bad thing to know things or to kind of understand maybe something about ourselves a little bit more, or is it, you know, just don't put yourself into a specific box or something. <laughs> right. Right. So all of the personality tests, uh, all the big ones have, uh, divination in its roots. They all have demonic roots. And Myers-Briggs does, uh, the Enneagram does, astrology definitely does. And so then you asked about the love languages and I've researched the author and he seems fine. I couldn't find anything off about him. And those aren't necessarily bad, but I would say that again, The Bible has told you as husbands and wives or friends or neighbors exactly how to love each other. We don't need an outside thing to tell us how to love one another, um, how whenever the love verses earlier, but we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Scripture, that's that's the first command that Jesus gives us. Um, And then love without partiality. So regardless if they want, if they are a type, whatever, you're to love them without partiality. You don't 
you don't see one another through a lens. You see them through what scripture calls you, how scripture calls you to see them and then love them that way. Um, and on top of that, so I think it's pretty prideful. I hear this a lot where people say like, oh, you know, like I, I just like knowing the types. I'm not going to fall into new age. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole. I just see it as being helpful. Well, scripture says, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It's actually pretty prideful to say that you are not ever going to do something because then you're setting yourself up to fail. We think that in our own flesh, we are strong, but we're not. We're weak and we, you may not fall into new age, but you know, you may fall into progressive Christianity because what the Enneagram does is it takes something that is arbitrary, okay? This is someone who got it through automatic writing. This is arbitrary. It is, it, it is not objective. You can go online and look up type nine and there's gonna be 90 different definitions for type nine yep. because it's not objective truth. It's not real truth. This is based upon people's experience. So then when you take that as truth, then you start taking your own experiences as truth <clears throat> rather than scripture. And then you can fall into anything. If you take what, what you experience as true, then you can fall into absolutely anything on the planet. And that's what new agers do. New agers, if it works, doesn't matter if science backs it up or psychology backs it up. By the way, science nor psychology back up any of these personality tests or the Enneagram, especially the Enneagram. Um, they would take Myers-Briggs before they would take the Enneagram. If, if, you're going, if you're going to use that and you, you, you'll, you'll accept anything if you accept experience as truth. And that's exactly what New Agers do and anyone in false Christianity does. Yeah. And I think, uh, uh, you know, going down another path, you know, he, we're starting at Enneagram, personality test, love language. This leads into the self-love. How... Yes you know, when you look at love languages, it's how can I be loved? How can I best fit myself? And it, it can be down a dangerous path, but I know a lot of people now are falling to this self-love culture. The self-improvement. Like look at the books. Yes. Like when you go to the bookstore, there's a whole wall for self-help, yeah. self-improvement. Yes. And, and, and it's like one of the biggest things that people are surrounding their life with. Is yeah. I think the biggest thing for being a woman, I feel like it's more dangerous in women. Mm -hmm. I feel like society is targeting women more particularly. Right. It, it does so in a way of breaking down the man. Oh, well, mm -hmm. you know, you can move your way up if you just focused hard and didn't fall into the, you know, the stereotypical traditional roles and just love yourself yes. and, and he'll meet you up there one day or whatever it may be. So can you explain why self-love is dangerous, but also give it a caveat to, you're not saying it because I know you and I've asked you this, right. you're not saying that we aren't to have some sort of self-love. It's the movement in and of itself and what it's doing in the path that can lead you down that we're saying is dangerous. Right. So scripture <clears throat> says that um, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So we already love ourselves um, just by nature. We love ourselves. We're always going to nourish and cherish it, regardless if that's under the guise of self-love or self-hatred. Actually, both of those things fall under self-love because you're doing whatever you can in that so that you either don't feel pain or you're avoiding pain or avoiding a feeling, whatever you're doing, or you're seeking a feeling. This all falls under sowing to your flesh and scripture says do not be deceived god is not mocked for whoever sows he will also reap for the one who sows to his own flesh 
will from the flesh reap corruption. And for the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. That's Galatians 6, 7 through 8. And so those who sow to their own flesh, and this is what the Enneagram does, personality tests do, is what self-care, self-love does. You, all the people that, like all of the accounts that are doing this and the people that are pushing this, a lot of them seem like very unhappy people. Like they're constantly looking for more to sow to their flesh because it is not fulfilling at all. You cannot be your own problem and your own solution. So you're going to be on a hamster wheel of trying to fix your own problems when really the answer is Christ. So, you know, like, especially as mothers, you mentioned women, but mothers, especially you see this in like toxic mommy culture where we think we need to escape and think that those things will fill us up because we need, like, we need an escape because the pedicure or the going out with friends or the trip, that's going to fill us up. That's going to make us happy. But instead it just becomes a band aid until the next trip. Well, and, and they're also manipulating mothers into thinking that this child has taken away right. who you once were and all you need is X amount of time away from your family right. to be that person again. Right. And, and it's, <clears throat> it's sick because it's then teaching you to re resent you, the role in which God has called you to do and the job that God has called you to do and look for an escape from it. And, and again, that's not saying that getting your nails done every now and then is a bad thing or getting your hair done. is a bad thing. Or enjoying no. time away. Is Absolutely not. Thing. It's not what we're saying. What we're saying is falling into this trap of believing of needing that's that. what you need. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Because right. we're called to be content in all circumstances. I mean, if Paul could be content in prison, you can be content in your nice, warm home <laughs> with food and with your children. And so if you get those times away, you need to change your perspective and see that as a gift and also as a recharge to come back and do your job well, rather than an escape. Yep. Um, it can be, it's, it's very, very, you are never, ever going to be fulfilled by sowing to your flesh. It makes you more miserable. Scripture speaks 0% to filling yourself with anything other than Christ. In fact, it says to mortify your flesh. Paul says he beats his own body into submission. John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. Jesus says, count the cost, take up your cross and follow me, die to self. Uh, many people in scripture call themselves slaves or bond slaves to Christ. So nothing in scripture you're going to find to study yourself and to feed your flesh. It's going to call you to do quite the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I went through like a phase of reading, I guess you could say self-help books and Mm -hmm. um stuff like that and it was it was like you said the hamster wheel and it's mm -hmm. so crazy that like even podcasts there's yeah, podcasts out there that are doing it too. it's the best-selling thing absolutely but it's like the the easiest and hardest i guess discovery that i made whatever <laughs> you want to call it when i was first truly saved was jesus is the answer mm -hmm. and yeah. it, people make it so difficult you know, with all these self-help books and, you know, trying to discover making yourself a better person through podcasts and well, all these endless. It's a know, bunch of rituals we've set up, exactly. like do all these things, all these works. And a lot of the so, times it's, it's objective. So like you were saying, a lot of the time it's objective. It's based on that person's personal experience, what they did to get where they are and, right. and, and, and capitalizing it and selling it 
in this mm-hmm. bottle, aka Rachel Hollis, who yes. took what she did to improve herself, regardless of how she did it. She did it and then sells it now in this bottle mm-hmm. of self-help, self-improvement. I do me, my life, it's my truth, my story. Yeah, but you can't believe people and it's like taking, that. But it's taking everybody down in her path. No, exactly. And it's leading people You think astray. everything's so good and they're in a biblical marriage and then all of a sudden you have no idea and they're divorced. And it's I don't like, think her husband. And she's posting crystals. Yeah. And... <laughs> So it's like they're selling not only to you, but to themselves a false reality. And literally, this is not like an exaggeration. Over quarantine, they were doing lives about how to make their, about how good their marriage was and how to make out during quarantine. And literally in the same like week and a half. Two days after their 16th wedding anniversary. And then she had a book book ready. And then a book like a a month later was didn't see that coming. Okay. Exactly. So... (laughs) It's a joke. They're not even, they are not even fulfilled. They are selling fulfillment that no one will reach. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I think the, that, that's the, the problem with the self self love movement is, and the reason why it is like you were saying, Randy, it's able to sell is because they've never given somebody an end game. They've never been able to pinpoint if you reach this, this will get better. It's always, well, when you get to that point, you may have done this wrong or you may have done that wrong. Here's another book. The the end goal, the goalpost is always changing based on society and what's going on in the world. And the problem is, is we fall to that because we crave it. And like you said, the answer is Jesus. If we opened up our Bibles and were in the word, everything would change. Right. And it truly would. It's not going to change instantaneously because I think people are like, oh, I want it to happen now. No, the work will happen. When you put everything in God's hands, he will take care of it. It's not going to be the way you want it to be. Right. It's not going to be the way you think it's going to be, but it will be taken care of. You have to be ready to let go of or give up some of the things that you know are not you know, biblical. Yeah, you've got to obey. Um, and, And like you were saying, Taylor, Scripture says, he who began a good work will finish it. So if you are saved, you will be sanctified into where you will have peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, you in scripture also says obedience brings healing. You can truly be healed when you're under that protective guise of Christ, because that is the living water and the salvation. Does that mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen in your life? Absolutely not. We live in a fallen world, but the, but we have Christ and we also have eternity to look forward to where there will be no tears, no death, no sin, nothing. So we have the ultimate treasure of hope and it lies completely out of ourselves. And that is, that should be very freeing. You're not the answer. Christ is the answer. And that is truly free. Exactly. Well, we, I know we do not have enough time to ask you all the other questions. So we definitely are going to have to have you come back for a part we'll two come out we'll back. more into other things, but in closing, I want to know what your three best resources are for children's books or ways that parents can disciple their children and, and bring Christ into the home and teach them. Okay, so my top three favorite materials that I do with my children um, is there's a really good devotion called Leading Little Ones to God. I can send that to you. I think that's the name, but if not, you can put it in the sh- in the show notes. Um, we love that devotion. It is 
very deep, but also simply written for children. And it even in daily, it has like a hymn to go over questions that will ask of, on whatever the lesson was and they can answer and um, prayers. So that one's really good. And it goes through everything. It doesn't shy away from things. It doesn't simplify things so much because I think a lot of children's resources simplify things to the point where it didn't even talk about what the scriptures were trying to convey. Like yeah. the Jesus storybook Bible doesn't really even mention sin. So anyways, all of that to say, so leading little ones to God is good. Um, I really love alongside them. That is an account on Instagram and they have created catechisms that are especially all kids of any age can use them, but it they're written to a level that two and up can understand. It's got short questions and answers. And if you don't know, catechisms just goes over the basics of the Christian faith with children, like who made you God? Why did he make you for his own glory? That really sets a strong foundation in the questions that children would be asking later as they continue to grow up. They'll already have the answers in their head. Um, so alongside them has a catechisms book. And on top of that, alongside them, so I'm going to get four. <laughs> materials on top of that alongside them has like a daily reading plan for children through scripture and if you have a kid old enough to read it's it's to their level it's not many verses a day it's sometimes it's only one or two but it's a reading plan for them that they can follow but also it's a reading plan that I read to my little boys that they can sit long enough to listen to so it's a daily reading plan for that and then finally we're really into missionary stories I think it's a good way to get um you know, Christian truths into my children with how God works, that they can trust God, and also the realities of being a Christian sometimes. In America, we paint it as this fluffy thing, but it's not always fluffy, and, so, and it costs things. So I like to explain that to them. So the missionary stories with the Millers, we're reading and really loving. We read a chapter a night when they go to bed, and it, you know, puts things in perspective for them, and it's also written to a level that they can understand for the most part. So those would be my top three apart from straight scripture. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to sit down with us today. I know with your kids and my kid, our, our kid <laughs> it's not always uh, easy <laughs> to, yeah. to find time to now. Plan, yes. So we definitely appreciate that. And I know, again, we had more questions, so we're definitely going to have to have you back for a part two to know. Some I would more. love to come back. Yeah, <laughs> I'll absolutely come back. We can do it again. Um, awesome. Thank you guys for having me. You guys thank have become. Yeah, we'll be, we should be out your way in February. Yes. Oh, sweet. Let's get together. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let us do that. And um, we will see you later. And thank you. Talk with you later. Sounds good. Thank you, guys.